own team, a new pirate generation. Everybody shout, let's go, Pirates! Another week has gone by. We are here on Monday around 6 o'clock recording the new episode of Icy Takes. It's Big Dave right here on the one side. Jeff on the other side of the webcam. Jeff, uh, you were telling me before we started recording, you have a nice scenic view for today's episode. Oh, Dave, it's a beautiful 70-degree day here in Irwin slash Manor, Pennsylvania. I'm on my big hill on the big side of town, as Rick Flair would like to say, overlooking my kingdom here in uh, on 109 Winwood Court. And it's just a beautiful setup right now. I figured I'd take in the beautiful weather, and here we are. We're recording a podcast outside for the first time. I have a nice beer on the table. I'm not a degenerate like some other podcasts that do uh, multiple beers at one time, so... Uh, you know, here, shoot the shit with you. Oh, man. Just shooting shots right there. What kind of beer are you drinking? Uh, it's a Sam Adams uh, Sam 76. It's a craft beer. Uh, I picked this one because on the label it says Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness, 1776. Um, it's a nice little citrusy summer beer to go with with, with the day, really. So uh, I figured that would be a, a, a nice little pairing for today's podcast. Okay. No, I no, I, I appreciate the hustle there, especially with that with that selection. I do like that. Oh, patriotic all the way, all the way. You must be wearing red, white, and blue right now. I am a. It, it's red, white, and blue, but it is a ro- brand new Ronald Acuna Atlanta Braves home jersey that just came in the okay. mail today. So. All right. So, hey. Yeah. Um, I have to probably look back at some of our prior shows. What was the, what was the bet we made about getting jerseys for each other? I kind I kind of remember that, but. I don't remember the specific. I feel like it, I feel like it was like baseball related or something like that. Yeah, that like, like if, if, the, if, if the Nationals the, won the division, something like that. Like I would have to wear some Jamoke on that team's jersey, but if the Braves won, you would have you would have to wear a, a Braves jersey of my choosing or something like that. I think it was the Phillies. I think or it was the, the Phillies. Phillies yeah. Bryce Harper. Yeah, yeah. I think I had to wear a Harper jersey. Um, and then you would have to wear a Braves jersey if the Braves won the division. Okay. All right. Well, we'll but, but, uh, but we'll get into that with some baseball talk because uh, the the boys had a solid weekend in Cleveland, by the way. So, well, the first game Saturday didn't really go as planned for them, but after that, it it kind of went as well. <laughs> Let's just say the rain got a little uh, motivation for a certain player in the lineup. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, like like Jeff said, we got a we got some baseball talk coming at the end of the show, but first, we're going to lead it off with hockey talk and let's just go straight into it with the team that essentially we represent um uh, with our fandom and how much we know about um any other team. This is the team that we know the most about and essentially the embarrassing performance that was put out there in the two games in or on Brooklyn, whatever the hell it is, and the two games in the the paint can, as I like to say, PPG Paints Arena, and so do you, was... do you. Hold hold on, hold on. Before we start, let's set this all up. Do you do you want to just go on your rant now and get it out before we we start going throwing haymakers at each other? No, no, no. I got to set this up first. Okay, all right. I got so um, after the series had ended, I was thinking to myself, which sweep was worse between the 2013 conference finals when they got swept by the Bruins and the sweep that just happened to the New York Islanders this past uh, postseason. So six years later, but with a almost entirely different cast, you have a lot of people who were multiple 
Stanley Cup champions on this team rather than the team before that uh, some of them have won under their under their belt. You had a, a two head coaches prior with Dan Bilesma and all the trades that uh, the last GM made, Ray Shiro, and all the talent that he acquired in that uh, strike-riddled season where they had to play a shortened season. And it looked like it was going to be the Pens year that year, but they came up short of making it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then this year where it was, it seemed like a Rocky Mountain high all year long where they were going up, they were going down constantly in the season, and it ended in one of the most, um, you, I could even go as extreme as saying, piss poor fashion of way of going out. So, Jeff, let's just, let's try to compare and contrast here with these two sweeps that the Penguins have been through. Which series do you think was worse if we want to pick one of the two? If I had to pick one, I would say 2013 was a lot worse than this year. Uh, the Boston series was coming off of um, they lost to the Canadians in 2010 uh, to not being able to repeat from the 09 Stanley Cup. They went into 2011 the following year. They lost in the first round in seven games to Tampa Bay. They did not have Crosby and Malkin there. Um, 2012, you had that disaster against Philadelphia in that series where um, it was just a, a gong show for every game. And then um, and then to get swept by Boston when I don't want to say they went all in that year, but you got the big pickup of Jerome Ginla, and a lot of people were ready to give the Penguins a cup that year. Um, the reason I picked that Boston series is for those losses ahead of time because you were in the prime of the Crosby-Malkin era, and you a lot of people were wondering if we were ever going to see a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh again under that regime. Um, essentially, that Boston series um, pretty much sealed the fate for Dan Balsma and Ray Shiro because Ray Shiro gave Dan Balsma a contract extension in that offseason, basically writing themselves in the same boat. And um, and then the next year they lost to the Rangers and they, they eventually both got let go. And I think just for this year, I mean, for what this group that just, yeah, they got swept for, but what they have accomplished in the last three years winning back-to-back Stanley Cups and then taking the eventual Stanley Cup champions to a game six overtime and losing. I just have a tough time ridiculing a lot of these guys that have accomplished so much and something that I never thought I would see as a Penguin fan. Cause all I heard when I was growing up uh, was about the back-to-back Stanley Cups and how awesome Mario and the gang were looking in the early nineties. And I never thought I would see that, but this group has given me three Stanley Cups Um the group currently that, that left the ice at PPG Paints Arena last Tuesday, um, they've given me a lot of joy and a lot of great memories that, um, you know, I don't think they're done. I think, I think maybe this might be a good thing, but um, I, I, I just have a tough time saying that, you know, we need to just write off this team and it's time for a rebuild or anything. I think, I think this might be a good thing for, for this team to have, a, uh, have them go out the way they did. Well, to make the playoffs, you'd really want to get at least one victory. So, right, right. Get... I I don't want people to think like I'm perfectly okay with them going down with a sweep. I I, I the the reason I think this is a good thing though is that um, I think that the front office group was so committed to playing that fast style and a, a skill style, and I think that they're going to have to regroup in the off season, which I think they will. And it might have to come down to the general manager, the head coach, the owner, and the captain 
to sit down and say, this is the style that we're going to need to change to. And that's, this is how we're going to have to be successful. So, um, and I, and I think roster changes are coming too. And there's going to be a lot of people's favorite players that get traded and you have to be okay with that. If you're really worried about the logo. So the, the way they went out in 2013 was really acquiring talent that seemed as if it was just, let's get the rental players this year. It's a shortened season. Let's just get the, the title while we can and then move on into the next year with whatever moves that we have to make. And that eventually blew up in their face with uh, the first round of that playoffs with everyone was really counting out the Islanders immediately when those two teams met up. Surprise, surprise, first round against the Islanders this year and that year. Um, but they get out of that series in six games, and then Ottawa seemed to be easy with five games, and then you just moved into into Boston, and it just was a grind. What was it? There were there were two goals scored in that entire series by the Penguins, and both of them were at home. I I believe I believe so. I I, I know it was low. I want to say it was like between two and four goals or something like that. Um, but. I, I see what you're saying, but I mean, look at how good that Boston team was. I mean, they took the Chicago Blackhawks uh, right, to, and get, I, and to game I was, six, and I was I was gonna get I was gonna get there, but um, okay. the the way that this whole season, this past season, unraveled for the Penguins, just it spelled disaster all year long. I mean, what they did the the three years ago and four years ago, fantastic! It's awesome to to be. Uh, the champions for two years in a row. This is the first time as um, a Pittsburgh fan or as any fan that I've actually been able to experience that. And it was great. And then the next year you, you had that team that's basically been, you are the boogie monster, but they finally beat you because they have arguably the second best player in the NHL and in the, in the entire world. And you take him to six games and they eventually win the Stanley cup. But this year, nothing gelled right for the Penguins, and it it just seemed off. Whether it's um, the higher price guys not um, not performing well or getting injured, one or the other. I mean, Chris Letang was a great defenseman all year long in the regular season when he was on the ice, but then come playoff time, there were some real big mistakes that were glaring um, in that in that four game sweep to the Islanders. So. Of the two series, I would put I would put this on the Islanders because that entire time going into the into the playoffs, I mean, even on our show, I told you that I'm really tempted to pick the Islanders, and then you were going to go full Yinzer on me. So I, I no, kinda, not full Yinzer, uh, full Penguin fan. There's two different categories there, bud. They they can they can gel together sometimes too. Okay, but. I mean, you, you even told me, like, why why are you even going to think about that? Which made me think, I mean, you have the best player in the world. You can have Malkin, who, right there with Ovi, can be the second best player in the world. And right there, th- that should be enough to win almost any seven-game series. At least get one victory. The, the, the poor thing about all this is that with all the offensive scoring power that they had on this team... They were only able to lead the series for less than five minutes. I believe it was like four minutes and 38 seconds that they had the lead in this series. And games two, three, and four, they had the first goal. And it was pretty early in each game, too, that they had the first goal. So for I them think to game just... two, I think game two was the only one that was uh, a little later. I think it was halfway through the second period, if I recall. Um, I think I, I'm actually disagreeing with you on that. I'm pretty sure they were all first period goals, but we can look back on that. 
or you can do that while I keep ranting. But for this team to always get the lead in those three games and not be able to hold on to the lead for five minutes in the entire series, let alone one game, was just concerning to me because the entire defensive uh, group, all the defensive pairings, whoever was out there did not play well. Arguably the best player that was out there was Erica Branson on defense, and he's, in my opinion, more of a grinder and someone that's going to be there to stop the puck rather than get anything uh, in the net. But and on offense, you had nothing going on there because the Islanders, I mean, give credit to them for playing fantastic defense. Barry Trotz is almost dialing up on Mike Sullivan on how to defeat him all the time now. I think that's six of the last seven games in a row that Barry Trotz has won in the playoffs, whether it's with Washington or the Islanders. But this team had um, almost the expectation to win this series and move on for uh, the trilogy or for the fourth set against the Capitals. And I think that kind of went over their head or that ignited a fire for the Islanders. And they just, they kind of exposed the Penguins to what they were all year long, which was just inconsistent and not, not there all the time. So this, this Islander series just had me feeling some type of way. And I, it's hard for me to, to let go for them to go out against a team like this, who I honestly believe cannot get past this second round, whether it's the Hurricanes or the Capitals. I don't see the Islanders getting past that second round. Two quotes that um, after locker clean-out day from the general manager and the head coach that I thought were two very telling uh, quotes. Uh, first with Mike Sullivan saying, all year he never felt that his hockey team was a tough team to play against. And I 100% agree with that with that uh with that quote there um they weren't it se- it seemed like if something r- went wrong the the team kind of just melted down melted down and um they didn't really have that much of a pushback like they did in, in years past especially uh the the 17 cup year because um you're coming off of the Stanley Cup and you have that quote unquote Stanley Cup hangover and um it just seemed like they didn't have that pushback like they did in the the uh 2017 uh, Stanley Cup run. Um, and then Jim Rutherford's comment after saying that he never felt like the team came together as one like they did in past Stanley Cup years. Um, I, I kind of uh, agree to, with him to a point there that um, you never knew what kind of hockey team you, you were going to watch at night. You didn't know if you were going to be watching a speed team or a team that was going to grind it out or um, even if guys knew what their roles were on the team. I mean, you had guys like Garrett Wilson trying to dangle through guys in the playoffs when his sole job is to get pucks deep and bang bodies. So um, I think those two quotes there are telling of, of how this team needs to improve next year. Um, as far as the series in itself, I think a lot of credit has to go to the Islanders being able to go out and um, – either answer after giving up the first goal, which that, that goal we were talking about was scored at 10:36 of the second period. Okay. Um, so I'll give that far- to you. You were right. Right. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I, I just want to let you know that we did get, get that corrected, but um, it, that's the pushback that Mike Sullivan's talking about there being a resilient team and, and being hard to play against because I, I did say going into the series that the Penguins would win in six, but I also had them, um, playing a tough series that um, the Islanders, I mean, Jordan Eberle, where the hell did he come from? He hadn't scored a big goal since the 2010 World Junior when he when he tied it for Canada in Saskatoon. And I mean, I don't just, think Jordan Eberle, just not to get off to a tangent real 
real quick, but I think Jordan Everly is finally in a system where he can show off the skills that he has because he's a very small player that moves quickly and um, doesn't can't really uh, deliver the hit, but can uh, can just fire it from wherever. Because if Sidney Crosby shoots that goal from down low, he is just. I mean, we do this all the time with him, but it's ridiculous what he can do. Nobody else can do it. But when Jordan Eberle did it to Matt Murray, that just raised eyebrows. Like, oh, Matt Murray should have had that, or how the hell are you going to let that 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 guy score there? Which I I just thought was uncanny because, I mean, when you have a player that doesn't really rack up the numbers like Crosby does, when you can't really have that with every single player, that's impossible. It's, It's funny how people are quick to blame the goalie, and especially this goalie, we'll save that for another show, um, for how he just got beat there because it was just a beautiful shot. I don't think it, there's anything that you can do to to make the save on that. So um, I just didn't want to get on that too long. Right, so. right. yeah, but but my point being there, though, is like Jordan Everly, I mean, he had Connor McDavid as, as a center in uh, in Edmonton. Like, he, he was playing with McDavid there, and he still didn't have the success that he had in that first round. That's why... Like you, you know, you look at the list of like penguin killers throughout the year, the years. I mean, Jordan Everly, a hundred percent gets added to that list after this series. Cause it seems like every time he got the puck game four, game four, which I was in the building. Cause I go to, you know, big important games. Unlike you going to pirate games in the middle of April when nobody's there, but you know, pirates are two and oh in those games, by the way. <laughs> and, I mean, Jake Gensel scores the opening goal, you know, 29 seconds in. And, you know, the place is rocking, buzzing, and then Chris Letang has a bad pinch. Islanders two-on-one, and whose stick is the puck on? Um, it's Jordan Everly, and he buries a goal and quiets the crowd at the paint can, you know, 31 seconds later. Before they even announce who scored the first goal for the Penguins. Right, and he just killed the Penguins in, I think, every game. Did he have a goal in every game, or he had goals in three out of the four? Three out of four, at least. He might have had four. Um, I don't think he had multiple in a game, so, but uh, three or four, one or the other. But to get back to your your quote about Rutherford and how telling that was about the season, how we never really knew what team was going to be out there for Pittsburgh this year, you could almost see the writing on the wall immediately back after they won their second Stanley Cup against Nashville with the the pickups that they made in the off season. And the big one that I will always hate was the Penguins going after Ryan Reeves the way they did. Because I thought that was a very unnecessary move by the Penguins to get someone like that. Because they didn't they, didn't they want to um, protect Crosby from only one player and that being Tom Wilson of the Capitals with that pickup? Essentially, yeah. It was to get, get Crosby a little protection. Um, right. But I, essentially, what you need... You don't need to to change it up like that because the Penguins changed their entire style picking up Ryan Reeves. In my opinion, they became this super fast team that you couldn't that couldn't catch up. They had arguably the best puck luck of any teams in the in the past two years. I mean, some of those goals are spectacular, but other times it it might have been just been a luck of the draw, just uh, shooting the pass uh, or uh, dumping it down the ice and just beating out somebody and someone's on a breakaway in the slot. Um, Picking up Ryan Reeves and uh, changing the style and not being able to roll your lines like you had the last two years, I think hurt the, how Mike Sullivan coaches and how the the entire team played. 
And for the past two years, they they haven't been able to hit those lottery picks in those trades that they did the prior two years. And it's showing how just with the core group of people that they brought in and who they brought out to replace those players with, it didn't it didn't signal anything good was going to happen for this team in the playoffs. And they, yeah, did, I, and they almost I, didn't even make the playoffs because it took them to game 81 to clinch their spot. Oh, well, it was a tight division all year, too. So, I mean, let's let's calm down on that front. Uh, as far as the Ryan Reeves thing, um, I wouldn't say that was the, the the telling story of the team changing their, their style. Um, I think it was – I mean, at the end of the day, Ryan Reeves was still the 12th forward for the Penguins in it. If that's how you're changing your style based off a, a 12th forward, you got bigger issues than that. But right, but the way Mike Sullivan coached was rolling those lines, going one, right, two, no, three, four, one, two, three, four. But then right, when you get yeah. the 12th forward, like you said, who it didn't really matter how he performed in almost any game, for him, for that line, or at least that player, to only get three minutes of ice time in 60 minutes, it changes how the rest of the team plays. And you know you could even argue that they're getting more tired out there because they can't roll through the way they used to. And maybe they're making boneheaded plays out there, just trying to drag or do an, uh, do a pinch or a necessary poke. And then all of a sudden you have a breakaway on the other end and Matt Murray's getting exposed because one player um, tried to play hero when they're tired and can't make the play. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, there, there, were, there were other moves. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Ryan Reeves got us Derek Broussard, which a lot of people thought gave us the best three centers in, in, in hockey. So, I mean, I, I, I think the, the moves that really, really hurt the Penguins more than anything is the, the Jack Johnson trade, which is what or signing that is um, one that I was for at the start, but um, it's just not there. I and I just think that they just. They they just weren't willing to change their style to where they had to be more of a patient team where you know they got to be successful on counter rushes instead yeah. of you know they're not going to beat teams up and down the ice like they did two years ago. So um, you know they have a lot to to evaluate and look at and see what kind of team they want to be in the years coming with uh, the Crosby Malkin era on the on a, the back nine per se. Not to use a golfing metaphor because. You know that's probably where everybody's at right now. But um, your your mind's out there right now, recording outside. Yeah, it is, and I kind of wish I was on a golf course somewhere, but I had to record this podcast today. So, well, well, hey, let's just let's start out there for everybody else. Which series loss do you think was worse? Which series sweep do you think was worse? Was 2013 the conference finals against the Bruins, or just this past year in the first round against the Islanders? You can let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Um, whichever way you want to express your your feelings, and tell us why. Tell us why you're feeling that. But uh, Jeff, what else we got for hockey? So Dave, I'm gonna give you. Uh, we we have a list of twos here. We can t- go with uh, two series that finished since we've last recorded. Two game sixes that are going on tonight. Um, since we're recording now, they'll be dropping the puck here in about. Oh, about 15 minutes or so. And uh, two game sevens that will be happening tomorrow night. Which ones do you, do you want to go over first? Let's do the game sevens. The game sevens? Okay, so last night we had two game sixes. Uh, Boston and Toronto played at 3 o'clock. The Boston Bruins came back and won uh, game six, four to two. And uh, their big dogs came out ready to go. Uh, Brad Marchand had a couple points. Patrice Bergeron found his way on the score sheet. 
Uh, Tory Krug was able to get uh, get a couple points, but they were able to get a get uh, some some important goals from their big big guys, which is what you need at the uh, the at playoff time. And um, what do you think, Dave? You think uh, Boston's going to win Game Seven or at home, or do you think the Leafs are going to have a, a uh, punch back? It's time for the change of the guard in this series. And I think the Toronto Maple Leafs, just like the Capitals beat the Penguins last year, the Toronto Maple Leafs get over top of the hump against Boston and move on because this year is the year of the underdog in the NHL playoffs. And that is glaringly showing us how uh, incorrect we were with our predictions so far early on with the, with the, I believe, the three series that have uh, finished up so far. So uh, I, I see no reason why Toronto can't finish this. Every game um, has been close, whether one team had a big lead and the other team made a surge late at the end, but it was too little too late. I mean, the, the entire series, this has probably been the best series of any of the um, eight playoff series that started the first round. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Toronto with you as well. Um, oh, think, look at that! Yeah, you know, yeah, we agreed. Yeah, way to go! Yeah. Um, what about that? I, I know that your your pick going into the series was Boston, but I like that you're changing Boston. your mind here. Yeah, and and here's why. Um, one guy that I don't think has gotten enough credit throughout the media and the coverage of this series is your boy Austin Meadows or Austin Matthews. Whichever uh, depending, one. Yeah, whichever one. Um, he has been fantastic in this series, and a lot of people had a lot of criticism for him after last year's uh, seven-game series loss that he really didn't have the numbers that he should be in his first overall pick and pretty much the face of the franchise up there and uh, the hockey mecca of the world. Um, but he's come to play. He's come to play. I think he's he's had points in his last four games in this series. Um, the they kid's... Ready to go. Uh, the one guy they're waiting for, though, is uh, Long Island's favorite son, John Tavares. Um, he hasn't quite really had his numbers up to where people expected them to be, but um, I think Toronto and the young kids are gonna gonna fight this one out. Um, I always like road teams in uh, in Game Sevens. After all the ones that we dealt here in Pittsburgh, it seems like the pressure is always on the home team, and. Um, so I'm going to go with Toronto. I think Austin Matthews wills the Leafs to a, uh, a Game 7 victory and their first series win since 2004. I, that's probably been my favorite prediction by you in this oh. entire show. Well, I, I, when, the, when the Penguins were struggling before they, got the, before they got Crosby and Malkin and all the young, the young stars, uh, I did watch the Leafs a lot when we had the, uh, the center ice package. And uh, me and the old man used to be big Leafs fans back in the heyday. Okay. I like that. All right. So, so let's shift things out west to the other Game 7. Uh, the Vegas Golds and the San Jose Sharks will be having a Game 7 in San Jose tomorrow night. Um, hell of a hockey game last night. Double overtime. Um, Thomas Hurdle scores a shorthanded goal, which was scored on a chintzy little slash that was called. And um, I was thinking to myself as I'm watching this game that I couldn't imagine if the Penguins were in this because 100% the Penguins would have done the same thing, gave up a shorthanded goal in a clinching game and um, in double overtime. So um, the shot beat Marc-Andre Fleury on his glove side. Fleury fans and Murray fans take notes of that. And um, what do you think, Dave? I think this is a coin flip. I, I don't know if I'm ready to buy into San Jose, but they got a lot going for them. 
Um, I think the first 10 minutes of that game seven is going to be ginormous for for San Jose. San Jose definitely has the momentum on their side with the way they're playing since being down 3-1 in the series. I think they won the first game and then lost the next three. So it was time for them to to flip a switch or do something out there so that they that they don't go down at home in game five and they were able to right the ship there. But then game six has probably been the best game of the playoffs so far. Not the entire series, but I, I'd say the that that game with all that went down because I believe the Golden Knights had fifty nine or sixty plus shots. Shots were fifty. Shots were fifty nine twenty nine. Martin Jones absolutely stood on his head. I, and I mean, like he didn't have. I don't want to say he didn't have to make any like tremendous saves because obviously when you have almost sixty shots on net, um, you're gonna have to make a couple of ten bell saves. But um, there was a lot of saves in like overtime where you know he squared to the shot, um, not giving up rebounds. So. Um, that's the one factor for the Sharks. You got to like what you're seeing. Is Martin Jones is re- starting to really uh, catch fire here in the latter part of the series. I mean, that was one player that we, or at least I was concerned with, with the Sharks with how they perform. Plus, the uh, the with the Drew Doughty comments was how the defense would play as well, especially with Brent Burns and whoever he's paired up with out there. But Burns and Carlson aren't D pairmen, are they? I don't think they were, but listen listen to the time on ice for these two. Brett Burns played 42 minutes in that double overtime game. Eric Carlson was 36-40. So I think that um that they are split up as like a, a one three pairing if you right. if you would have like your top two and then then three four. So I think they are split up. Okay, but I mean right now the, the momentum's the momentum is all there for the Sharks, but I'm still going with the Golden Knights because this the Sharks team has always been uh, prone to choking. Uh, it's, it's just it's not really the best choice of words as to why I should pick the the Golden Knights, but I think Jared Gallant or or Gerard Gallant, right? Oh, there's another one. Yep, you go, you, you you helped yourself out on the rebound there, but you Gerard Gallant. Yeah, it's a little French in there. Get some French in there. Yeah, just gotta you gotta put the fingers up as well, but uh, um. I think he is. He never really had a, a chance to prove himself in Florida, and this has been his way to show how, how great of a coach he really is in Vegas with the with the roster that they were able to put together because of the the way the expansion draft rules works. But I'm giving I'm giving all Game Seven props to the Vegas Golden Knights because, like you said, they're they're the team on the road. They're the team that's not gonna have to really face the music with the home crowd there and. They can just get off to the great start, and oh, I also love Mark Andre Fleury. So that's another reason I'm picking the Knights. Okay, all right. I'm. I think the first ten minutes of this hockey game, like I said before, are going to be so huge. If San Jose can get a goal within the first five, and get the Vegas Golden Knights on their heels, um, I think that plays very well for San Jose, and kind of they can kind of keep rolling. Um, but if Vegas scores that first goal and kind of gets Martin Jones to come back to earth a little bit after that 59 safe performance. Um, I, I'm going to go Vegas just because of the experience they've been there. Um, although this is the first adversity they've really had to face as a franchise. Cause they had a, uh, they had pretty, a pretty uh, easy run to the final last year. Um, so I'm going to go Vegas as well. I just have a feeling that um, they're so deep and um I mean, 
Brent Burns and Eric Carlson are going to be on the on the ice a lot, and I have a feeling that the only goal that is scored is going to be a uh, a tired mistake by one of those two guys for playing so many minutes. All right. Uh, what what else is on the the list? Okay, before we get to the games tonight, let's talk about the two series that did wrap up over the weekend since we last recorded. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche knocked off the number one seed Calgary Flames um, in a five-game five, five game series, a 1-4-1. to one. Um, This series came down pretty much to Colorado stars of McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog. Um, they outperformed the Calgary Flames stars as well. Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau. Uh, BC kid, love him, but um, it just seemed like things weren't going his way. A lot of uh, a lot of media members were talking about his body language that he was starting to get frustrated as the series continued. Um, for me, this was the most entertaining series as far as what I was watching because it was just up and down, scoring chances after scoring chances. Um, but I think this is the bandwagon I'm going to hop on. Um, throughout the playoffs as a Colorado Avalanche because they are a fun team to watch. I I do completely agree with you with wanting to hop on that bandwagon because it was ridiculous how... I mean, Mike Smith is not the, the top-tier goalie that you want in net for the entire route of the playoffs. Would you agree? Right. So, But the Colorado Avalanche did what they had to do against Calgary and, you know, uh, on the other end, give... Props to uh, I believe it's uh, Philip Grubau- Grubauer. Yep. yep. Um, he he played phenomenally. I know he was. Uh, it was between him and uh, Calvin Pickard for a little bit before the expansion draft, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because I believe Grubauer was in uh, Washington, and then uh, Pickard was in um, in Colorado. So that was who Vegas was kind of looking at as their uh, backup goalie situations. Yeah, so I mean, for for Grubauer to uh, essentially grow into this position to be the 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 goalie for the Avalanche and, and the the way they had to go to make sure they had to beat out the of all teams the Arizona Coyotes for that last spot and then go up against the Calgary Flames who were considered at least a a conference finalist in this in this tournament. Um, it just shows that, like you said, they opened up the scoring chances, they exposed the defense, they exposed Mike Smith. And I really want this Colorado Avalanche to continue to succeed in the playoffs. Um, now, depending on who they get in the next round between the Sharks and the the Golden Knights, I think we'll uh, it'll show which um, it'll show where the Avalanche can finish if, if they can move on to the conference finals, or if they'll be stifled in that second round. Um, I think if the Sharks do find themselves in the second round, the Avalanche can uh, once again expose that defense. But if the Golden Knights are going to be hosting the Avalanche, I don't know if the if that um, bandwagon continues. The the one thing about that series, though, that I really hope the uh, the the headlines are is that uh, putting it on Mike Smith because I thought Mike Smith actually played quite well in in the the five games. Um, he just didn't get any scoring support at the end of the day, and. Um, I, I know in our playoff preview, we talked about, you know, all the 70-point scores for the Calgary Flames, and they just weren't there in this uh, in this series. It honestly came down to the stars of um, Colorado getting the job done in Calgary not. And um, I, don't, I don't know if Calgary has a whole lot to change. I just think that they got a really tough uh, matchup with the uh, Colorado Avalanche. 
Because remember, the Avalanche were were going pretty well early on in the year until they ran into some injuries and they had to fa- fight their way into the uh, into the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I, I I think if if I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan, I'm a hundred percent rooting for San Jose in the next round, right? So, I yeah, I I just thought that with the way the Calgary defense played and not like you said, not being able to score on the other end. Mike Smith needs at least three goals to comfortably win a game, and uh, the Flames were unable to to do that for him. On the other end, the Avalanche could have easily done that for Mike Smith. Right. I mean, game one, they won. The uh, Flames won four nothing. They won it. You know, I wouldn't say handily, but um, there's your theory right there. You know, you score score four goals, don't give up none. There's your your three goals of of support. That's how you win games. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Not giving up any. All right, so, is there anything else? Uh, yeah, we got the uh, St. Louis and Winnipeg wrapped up over the weekend, too. Uh, Jane Schwartz basically just went off um, in games five and six. I believe he netted a hat trick in game uh, in game six to uh, seal the fate of the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, Jordan, Jordan Bennington uh, answered the bell. Um, I know I had a lot of questions about if he'd be ready to go come playoff time. Uh, he answered the bell pretty well, so... Um, I'm not necessarily ready to buy into the St. Louis Blues to go all the way, but um, that was definitely a, um, a surprise uh, series one for the Blues there. Um, and we'll I see. mean, not unless you uh, picked them in the in the predictions that we made on that show. One of the only predictions I have right so far. Okay, so so in case our audience was wondering, Dave picked the Blues over the Winnipeg Jets. And basically that reason that you pointed out was Jordan Bennington answering the call. And the, even though he's a rookie, he's, he's basically showing signs of, you know, you could even say Matt Murray um, in the net with how well he, he played in that series. The Jets are another team that has some offensive scoring weapons, not as lethal as last year. But this was a team that was supposed to really, you know, step over this Blues team and move on to the next round and answer questions that they couldn't do last year. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm not ready to buy in the Blues. I didn't buy buy them in the first round. I don't know if I'm even ready to buy buy them to get out of the Central Division. I think uh, uh, whoever wins tonight between Dallas and Nashville, I think they beat St. Louis in the next round. Well, unless Nashville wins, because then we get a Game Seven, because it's Game Six tonight. Yeah, Game Six tonight. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just meant the series winner, right? The Game Six winner, but. It, Anyways, uh, real quick, uh, we'll make this one real quick. Uh, the two game sixes tonight that are, I believe they're in warm-ups right now if I look through my awesome windows on my big big house on the big hill. Um, Washington and Carolina, who you got? I got Washington ending it. I think those, those two games on the road really pissed off the Capitals, and they're out there to out there for blood, essentially, and just want to show those bunch of jerks that they're the re- they're the Stanley Cup champion from last year, and they're moving on. I got the bunch of jerks tonight. Uh, the reason I got them tonight is because Washington now has the label of the bunch of jerks. Um, Saturday night in Game 5, uh, Washington was up, I believe, 4 nothing with about with under five minutes left and Todd Reardon throws out the top power play unit and they do what they do. OB bomb from the, from the left side and goes in to make it five, nothing. Um, it's a real jerk move on the, on their side. So a uh, bunch of jerks, part one, Carolina hurricanes are going to win tonight for game seven. Uh, other, other game we're looking at too is Dallas and Nashville in 
Dallas, Texas. Who you got tonight? I got the upset happening. I think the Dallas Stars and the Predators. I don't know. I really don't know how the Stars are doing it, but I think Dallas can end it. Um, you, so you know, you know how the Stars are doing it. You want to know? Uh, what's that? They're stars. I'm leaving. Get it? Get it? I'm leaving. Get it? This podcast is over. <laughs> no, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, uh, Alexander Radulov. And then they're getting help from the um, the back end, too. you got John Klingberg. That Lindell kid has been playing fantastic. And Ben Bishop's playing pretty all right in net, too. So um, that's honestly how they're getting it. Their big names are performing, and they're getting a little bit of help from their uh, from their young defensemen as well. How much poetic justice is it if the Stars – uh, defeat the Predators in the series, how much poetic justice is it that the stars of the team are performing well to get them into the second round because of what had happened early on in the year with their owner? It's Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that uh, picture picture this before we move on, on to baseball. Um, picture this, okay? So Gary Bettman calls over Jamie Benn. Jamie Benn, you're, you have uh, brought the Stanley Cup back to Dallas. Come get the Stanley Cup. Takes a picture. They hold it. They hold it up. They go all over, and they get to the locker room. They're they're drinking champagne out of it, and here comes the owner to go have a drink with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben. And it, it, would that not be the most awkward Stanley Cup celebration in a locker room you'd ever see? Um, potentially, but I think the 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 players would get over it and just have a drink with him because I don't think the, the NHL players are petty like that. People don't forget. It, it would man. be awkward. Don't people, get me wrong. But people don't forget. People don't forget. People don't forget. But I think after winning, I think uh, uh, exuberation will triumph over that all. Yeah, I think. I think in the moment you're right, but I, I'm just picturing that and thinking how funny that would be. Oh, dude, that'd be that'd be fantastic. So um, if the Avalanche don't win, go Stars. Yeah, yeah. So, so is that who we're pumping the tires for? Then in, yeah, well, in the playoffs right now, we're. We're we're a Colorado podcast right now, but if they lose, we're jumping on Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm also uh, on there with Vegas as well. Um, I really don't want to see anybody else from the East unless it's Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of there too at this point. I think I think my champions in the in the West, and um, I, I I would root for Vegas just because I have them in in my picks. But after that, I I 100 percent am on Colorado's bandwagon. All right, well. Uh... Is that it? That's it. That's it. I just put the slash through all my topics that we were going to go over, and uh, let's talk a little bit of baseball. I know you got some stuff you want to talk about. Uh, so a little bit of baseball talk before we, we get into the hometown team of the, the Pirates, who are just right now having the most unexpected start to the season. Um, I, I, I want to say at least 90% of people going into this season who follow or watch this team will say this is very unexpected. But before we go into that, there's a uh, nice little fun debate I wanted to get into, which is who would you rather have on your team right now? These are both two. Uh, these are both NL outfielders, and no, one of them is not Bryce Harper. Um, the, the two arguably best players in the league right now, between Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich. The Brewers and the Dodgers just had a great series in Milwaukee this past weekend. Um, Josh Hader was uh, was exposed a little bit in those in those two games. Uh, one of those home runs to give up the lead was to Cody Bellinger, who had a phenomenal series. And Christian Yelich had himself a 
uh, a couple dingers as well in that little league ballpark. So Jeff, um, you're, you, you're the GM. Uh, you need to pick one of these outfielders. Who are you going to go with? I'm going to go with Cody Bellinger just because, um, I, I like his versatility because I believe he can play first base as well too. Yep. Correct. Oh yeah. I, I like, I like that versatility and he, He's just a presence, too. I mean, he gets into the box, and you're expecting the ball to go a long way. It might, it might not be a home run, but if it's hitting the wall, it's going to be a strike, and it's going to be going well over 100 miles an hour and, and basically get the carousel going around the bases. So I'm going to take Cody Bellinger just for, just for that presence. Uh, I remember watching him in the NLDS last year when uh, the Dodgers beat the Braves in, uh, in four games. Don't need to talk about that too much, but um, – I just remember seeing him in the, in the box, and I'm just like, we have to pitch around this guy. We can't go after this guy because he's he's just going to tear us apart. It seems like anytime he hits the ball, it's just going a long, long, long way. Uh, I mean, Cody Bellinger, ever since he took over his rookie year when the Dodgers made that World Series appearance in 2017, has been up and down uh, regardless – or. Uh, you could even argue that he's been up and down. I'm kind of stumbling over the words right now, but he started off the year very hot. The the playoffs got to him a little bit. His second year was a little bit of a sophomore slump, but now this year he did something to his swing and it's just looking so great that if he gets any part of the baseball, it's you better be watching out if you're on the field, especially if you're the pitcher on the mound. But I think right now I would go with Christian Yelich because this dude knows how to spread the ball around. It seems like almost anything off his bat, no matter which direction he hits it, has a chance of being a home run. Granted, that it might be because they're in Milwaukee for most of his home runs because it, it's a Little League ballpark. But, you know, have you ever but seen... His, you know what, though? The, the one thing I'll give Christian Yelich credit on, though, is that his home runs, yeah, they're, they're in that Little League ballpark known as Miller Park. But, like, they're not cheap home runs that are just scraping the wall. Like, he is crushing these things. Oh, no, no, like, no. no. Yeah, like, well is. deep. Like, they're, they're, uh, they're probably in the river at PNC Park. That's how, that's how much he crushes these balls. So, um, I think it's a little unfair to say, well, you know, he, he plays half his games in Miller Park. Right. But um, the versatility with Cody Bellinger is nice. But I think defensively, Christian Yelich is a better player than Cody Bellinger, uh, especially in the outfield. Now, People could come back at me and said Cody Bellinger robbed Christian Yelich of a home run, then went into the batter's box and put one out of of his own. But I think overall Christian Yelich is just the the better all around player. Cody Bellinger isn't even in his prime yet, so I can't wait to see what that's even going to be like. But I think right now, if I had to pick of of the two, Christian Yelich would be my pick because he just brings. This not the intimidating presence in the box, but just a presence in I believe in the clubhouse and in the dugout that you get on base and I'm gonna find a way for you to score. So I'm gonna have to go with Yelish on that one. And, and debates like this isn't this like what baseball has to absolutely love right now is the fact that you have so much young talent and it's spread so far throughout the league that um. As a baseball fan and someone who loves talking about it, like debates like these are just what what make you say like baseball is in a very good spot for all the negative about you know pace of play and all the garbage people want to talk about with shifts and everything. But you're having we're literally having a debate about two very good infield or outfielders that are 
probably going to be up there in the MVP talks throughout the year. Oh yeah, no doubt. Like this is this is some of the most fun talk that you can have with these two teams, and then then you watch the season on, uh, unfold and see uh, where the mistakes are being made by these players. Because right now there are no mistakes being made by either one of these players. So no, I kind of want to see that happen, and I want to see another four hundred or not another one. I want to see someone bat four hundred for the season because I haven't been able to see that uh, in my life in my lifespan. So I'm ready for that to happen again. Yeah, and like we keep saying too, the youth in baseball right now, um, the one thing that that I love that baseball does too is the their social media and all their media that baseball puts out, it's all about these kids. It's all about guys like Yellish and Acuna and Bellinger and all these young kids. They're promoting the hell out of these guys. And it's, it's something that um, maybe football and – Hockey's kind of getting there, but baseball just does it so well promoting these young kids about how great these kids are and that they are the cornerstone of what's going to keep this game going to get younger fans involved. So to kind of transition um, the hockey into this um, with the bunch of jerks, let's get into the the Tim Anderson home, home run bat flip in Chicago. I believe that happened on Wednesday or Thursday, where in the fifth inning. Thursday, think, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was still a tie game. There was a runner on first, and the shortstop for the White Sox, Tim Anderson, just blasted one out to left field to take the two nothing lead. And the way he flipped his bat, he was looking back at the dugout. Just watching it the first time, you could almost argue that Tim Anderson looked like he was showboating to the catcher. I don't know why he would even do that based off that situation. There was nothing going on in that game. It was the the fourth or fifth, the bottom of the fourth or fifth inning when that happened, or yeah, I think fourth inning. And, you know, he's just barking to his dugout, like, you know, like a little Pat McAfee, like, let's, let's go. Something right, like that. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And then rounds the bases. He comes up next time. It's the same starting pitcher. Um, um, I don't believe it's Mitch Keller. Um, I, it, all I know is that it's the last name Keller for the Kansas City Royals. And first pitch. Right, right on the lower part of the back, upper part of the butt, and immediately you have Tim Anderson just looking down. The catcher's trying to hold him back. The dugout's clear, and the the whole thing explodes into a whole lot of nothing with a whole lot of shuffling on the field. And Tim Anderson gets the suspension. I think Keller got the suspension as well. But let's just go back to the whole uh, bat flip after hitting a home run. You just took a two nothing lead in the fourth inning. You flip the bat. Um, I think that's just a way to ignite your team. Like, hey, you know, we took the lead. Let's keep this going. Let's just pour on the runs right now. I got it started. Let's keep it going. Because home runs are usually considered a a rally killer um, because there's nobody on base. You're not consistently getting the runners in scoring position. But I think Tim Anderson, it looked like to me, Tim Anderson did nothing wrong. But I really don't know what he said out there and who he may have been directing that to. So... I'm going to go ahead and say the kid out there was just trying to ignite his team and get them going. They just got their first runs of the game, still had the shutout. They eventually lost the game, and maybe, I believe, extras. If not, it was just a 4-3 loss in nine innings. But I think Tim Anderson did nothing wrong. Here's here's my thing here, and I don't – the bat flip I'm still a little lenient on. I, it, it's whatever. You know, I, I get it. You just smacked one 400 feet 
And, you know, it, you know, you get that excitement, right? It's kind of like when you hit a tee shot and you pump it 305 down the middle. You, you get excited, right? You, you like it. You want to kind of admire it a little bit. The, the stuff I'm not liking, what a lot of people are doing, is this whole, like, turn around and yell at your dugout or, you know, that's the, that's the stuff I think a lot of people are getting at. And for, for to just be like, okay, you took a 2 nothing lead. Awesome. Like, you, there's still – you know, you still got another five innings to play. I think that's what's getting on people's nerves is that a lot of a lot of times these home runs are just absolute like I don't want to call them meaningless because obviously you're scoring runs, but you know, take some perspective of where you're at. You're doing your job for God's sakes. Um, if you want to admire it a little bit, okay. But this whole like turn around yelling a let's go or whatever, like save that for when you get in the dugout and when you're when you're on your bench. Don't do it when you're you're at the plate in front of a catcher and a pitcher and eight other guys on the field. Um, that's that's kind of like where I kind of stand on it because I, I do like it that, you know, you kind of admire it because, again, like, holy shit, I really just hit that 430 feet. Are you kidding me? And, you know, you trot around the bases, get in, then you do your high fives, your little handshakes or whatever. But um, I just don't like that whole – they, they turn around yelling at the dugout and stuff. Save that stuff for when you get back in the dugout. Like, pe- I, I just think that's just showing people up at that point. I think the one Reds pitcher, Amir Garrett, said something perfectly where you don't even watch what that player does if you give if you la- if they launch something of yours. You right. go back in there the next time that they're up and you look to strike them out and you show them up there. I mean, I don't see I, – I understand why people uh, – why pitchers have done this. I mean, it's not even just today. It's been in baseball forever where you showed us up where I'm going to make sure you don't do that again. But the way you can make sure you don't do that again is just strike them out the next time or don't leave it up because with pitchers, let's just use A.J. Burnett, one of my favorite pitchers that came through Pittsburgh. If he's going to tell somebody to you know, sit the F down – um, after striking him out, after striking him out, because I don't think he, the I think the batter didn't think he swung, but the first base umpire said he did. If you're gonna let AJ AJ Burnett do that to a player as he strikes him out as the pitcher going to his dugout, then I don't see why uh, a player who pimps a 430 foot home run can't scream right in front of the pitcher and the catcher. Right. No, I I get that too, and I I get that argument. While pitchers, you know, kind of show up batters when they get a big strikeout, and I. 100% get that. I think at the end of the day, this argument just comes down to, well, he did that to my team, so we're not just we're not going to stand for it, right? right because 100%, I, I, if, so, if somebody takes Max Freed off, like, the Coca-Cola bottle at SunTrust Park, I, and they admire it, I fully expect whoever, whoever's coming in, whether it's Max Freed or it's a reliever, to, to put one on his back. Like, you're not going to disrespect my team that way. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's killing fun. It's just, you know, you want to act like that, that's fine. But there's going to be repercussions to it, right? I don't, I don't even think it's a disrespect to admire the shot. Maybe it's the disrespect of, of yelling. Uh, right the, yell, the, the yelling catcher, and everything, but... which is 100%. I think it's 100% of fad. It's just that for how young baseball is getting because it seems like that's how – boy, this sounds – awful for me to say but the younger kids are nowadays like everything's like let's go fire everybody up like that's kind of that's just how everybody gets fired up after you you score a big goal or you hit a 
get a big hit or whatever. So, um, I like I, I don't know. I just I just feel like if you want to act that way, the game's been around longer than you have. You know this is coming at the end of the day. Yeah, I I, I think it's just funny how. Uh, Tim Anderson just can't wear it and go and go to first base. I think that's a... the other half of the issue too is people thinking they're bigger than the game, bigger than the game, and this is a big surprise they got thrown at. Right, and uh, I mean, if this is me, what I'm doing is I'm smiling, I'm trotting down, smiling and looking at that pitcher the entire time. Because you're in that guy's head. Yep, exactly. 100%, you're in that guy's head. So I mean, I'll, I'm all for what Tim Anderson did. Um, until he just started getting the, the repercussion there. I think at certain times it, it, it is necessary to say what the hell to the pitcher on a pitch like that. Right, but right. You, know, you knew that one was coming. So, right. Um, or um, I, th- I, th- I, I think the – go ahead. I, I was going to say I disagree with the suspension, but because of what happened on the field, I see why they did it. Yeah, same thing. Like once you start getting altercations going, obviously – Baseball hates it, but they like it too. We've had we had that talk last week, but um, at the end of the day, I, I I just think don't think you're bigger than the game. If you want to act like that and you get hit, just trot down to first base. You did your job. All right, so let's get into the biggest surprise, um, especially for me and especially for the team that I that I root for, the Pittsburgh Pirates for a hot second, and I could even double check just to make sure had the best record in the national league and you know granted it is still april um i i just was very uh brought back by how this team just really took a, a right turn um especially with their starting pitching because i knew going into this season that their starting pitching was decent like i having jameson tyon lead the way as the ace you got chris archer as support and you also have um no, um, Trevor Williams, who has been arguably the best starting pitcher since the All-Star game last year with uh, ERA. And then you also have Joe Musgrove on the on the second half. And then Jordan Lyles, out of nowhere, has become one of the, the better pitchers on this staff. The Pirates stand at 12-7. I believe they've won 11 of their last 15 and almost... All of their losses, you could argue that they should have been able to win as well. There's a there's the ten nothing loss to the Cubs, which you know you're not going to win that, especially if you don't score runs. And um, maybe blanking on another one, but you know the, most of their losses are one run games. Whether their bullpen is giving it up at the end with Keona Keller or Richard Rodriguez, whichever one, it's a carousel at this point. Um, I I just can't believe with the amount of injuries that they're sustaining on the field with Corey Dickerson and um, most recently Marte and Eric Gonzalez, and to see the rise of these players in uh, in double-A and triple-A go out there and um, uh, produce for that team. You know, Jason Martin has been able to uh, get on base and steal a couple bases for this team coming up two weeks ago. Cole Tucker, who is going to let's just all cross our fingers if you're a Pirates fan, is going to be the face of this team in the next couple of years. Uh, that's something that the Pirates have never really had is that is that showcase, that franchise shortstop. And Cole Tucker has the, uh, all the check boxes to potentially be that player. And the other one, Brian Reynolds, who was a Giants prospect. Andrew McCutcheon was dealt to the Giants to get Brian Reynolds and Kyle Crick, 
who Kirk's on the IL right now, but Brian Reynolds had three hits against his former team, and that third hit got the last out of the game at home plate because that's a different story when you have Zhang Hyo Gung trying to go first to home on a ball hit to the corner that actually had a bad hop that should have helped him as well. Um, they lose that game 3-2 to two because of a nice relay, and Gung just is one of the slowest runners on the team. Jeff, the, this is not what I expected from the Pirates, and I'm just trying to relish in it right now. Yeah, you can relish in all you want right now, but, you know, come June, July, they'll be selling off some guys. Like, it's going to be the same old story. Um, I just can't buy into this team. I just I just can't do it. I got my hopes up between 13 and, 13 and 15. Uh, that 2015 team, they won 95 games, and they 98. just came all 98 games, whatever the hell it was. And they they sold off they sold off the team and pretty much killed any hope of me ever wanting to become a Pirates fan ever again. So have you um, have you seen the ERA as a starting rotation? Yeah, apparently they're like absurd, aren't they? Like they're they are really ahead of year. everybody, um, unless the, unless the start from Chris Archer uh, rose the ERA a little bit. He gave up three and five, but um, they are essentially one earn run lower than the next closest team um, in the NL, at least. I think in the AL, they're still ahead of the Rays, but the Rays sometimes use that opener. So if you get yeah, so, one, so your starter what, what I, one clean what, inning, it's going to be a zero. So, I mean, right. the, the starting rotation and the young talent that's been producing with the bats have been the reason why they're in this spot right now. Yeah, 100%. They're... they're um... Their pitching has gotten them where they're at right now, but um, I just don't know how long it's going to last. And I I don't follow this team as much as I do the Atlanta Braves, obviously. But um, my one question is: is what's their schedule been like? Has they, have they really faced tough opponents yet? Like I don't think they faced the Brewers yet, or the Cardinals yet, or uh, you know, so, getting so into they the have National faced League the Cardinals. East. Okay, um, one of their games. I can't remember. No, it was only a two-game set. It was the home opener on uh, Monday, then right, they right. Tuesday, and then they hosted them Wednesday. And in both of those games, the Pirates had a lead late, and then the bullpen blew up the lead. So, I mean, you could you could even mark two more wins for the Pirates there if they have even one iota of a bullpen that's not Felipe Vasquez. Right. Um, and aside from that, they haven't, you could argue that the Nationals are a decent team that they face. I mean, the Nationals right now set a 10 and 10. The Pirates took two out of three from them, one of them being against Max Scherzer, who I think they put up three on in eight innings against him and just got outdoled by Jamison Tyon, who I believe went seven in that game. So Max, the, Max Scherzer's also had a rough start to his year, too. So I don't not know. Not as bad as I'm, Chris Sale. Yeah, true. But that the whole debacle up in Boston right now is a little. I don't know if I'm even ready to buy into that yet because we talked about them starting in the West Coast. Right, but uh, so the if you want to talk about are they playing the elite competition, not really, but this is also I, – I still like the size of this starting pitching, this starting rotation. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, Felipe Vasquez is the best closer in baseball right now. There's no reason why this man shouldn't be getting any more love or uh, can't be getting any more love than he is right now because everybody's still on Josh Hader even after giving up two leads this weekend. Um, but it, it's just a nice, refreshing change of pace 
for this for this team to get off to this early start. I mean, if what you're saying is going to happen, it probably will. Okay, whatever. I'm getting prepared for it. But as of now, I'm ready for this team. Uh, they're going up against the Diamondbacks right now. Gregory Polanco is making his season debut after his unorthodox injury last year because he just doesn't know how to slide. Um, is that, think, does that does adding him to the roster do anything for you? I think it can. I think it can help. You have another left-handed bat in there that you can rotate because, you, like I said, you also have Brian Reynolds, Jason Martin. You have Melky Cabrera. Um, I'm just. You're not for... buying into Melky Cabrera. No, 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 no. But not. he's a bench player. Melky's okay, a bench right, player. Right. Yeah. I, I was gonna say if he's in your starting nine, you you don't have a winning roster if you, if uh, he's in your starting nine. No, no, no. But he he is he's been one of the best bench players for the Pirates, and I think right now leads the team in average. He's over three thirty right now. Um. So I mean, it's it's not nothing to just look away at right now it's almost one full month the pirates have played the least amount of games because they've had one postponed or they have a doubleheader against the reds in may and they've been given the most days off of, of any team right now they're in the fourth of 10 straight games in a row um seven of them being at home this is game number four like i said against the diamondbacks and then they go to i believe la this weekend against the dodgers so um, the real test is going to be this series with how the Diamondbacks have, have good offense. Um, they're, they're sitting at 11, 11 and 11 right now. They haven't really had the pitching to back them up. Let's see how, let's see what wins here between starting pitching and the bats of Arizona. But then this weekend, if the pirates get one win, I'm cool with it because this Dodgers team is, you know, roping off wins right now. Um, even before Clayton Kershaw came back and he came back not too long ago and, Walker Bueller, another name that we mentioned earlier, has just been amazing for that team. But um, one one thing I wanted to ask you, have did, have you been able to see Cole Tucker play yet or see, seen any highlights of him? And do you think this could be the, the nice uh, jump start for the Pirates to maybe get back to what they had in the middle of 2010? Honestly, I did see a little bit of Cole Tucker over the weekend, um, just having the Pirate game on. Um, in the background during Easter festivities and stuff. And I, I, I do see it. I think he's going to be very marketable, just like how Andrew McCutcheon was when he came up. Um, so I, I think that's something very positive going for the Pirates. But again, are they going to be willing to invest in this kid and keep him around for, for the long haul? Because I, the whole thing with how it ended with Andrew McCutcheon, um, that kind of still sticking in some some pirate fans' uh, minds. So I don't I, I I like the kid a lot. He looks very charismatic. Looks like he can handle the bat pretty well too. So um, and then ha- having a strong bat at shortstop. When was the last time the Pirates had one of those? So I think he's definitely something that the um, that the Pirates can can use to start kickstarting themselves and getting them back into the playoff hunt. I mean, you bring up Andrew McCutcheon since. 2016, so the year after they had made the, the playoffs in, in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, since they moved him into that number two spot, Clint Hurdle and, and crew, um, it's just been uh, awful for McCutcheon until this year in Philadelphia. Uh, right now, batting at 275, he's been racing up the average. His on base is at 408, slugging is at 513. So he's getting back to those Andrew McCutcheon numbers. He has 80 at bats on the year. Um, and not really much of a war because 
Um, when you have players like Bryce Harper and everyone else, it's hard to do that. So he's, he's only at a, a .9 war, but he's, he's changing his game. And the way things were trending for him in Pittsburgh spelled a, a trade for him. I mean, it, there really wasn't much to it. They signed him up until uh, 2019. They traded him a year earlier, knowing that 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 team only had one year of control with him unless they wanted to extend him. And you saw the Giants didn't even uh, keep him the entire year because he couldn't perform there, was traded to New York, had a little bit of flashes there in New York, and uh, got his first postseason RBI. But now now he's on the other side of the state in Pennsylvania and kind of finding his groove again. He's on the. He's going to be on the downhill at 32. So I don't really have a bad taste with that Andrew McCutcheon trade. Plus, like I had mentioned, they got Brian Reynolds, who just made his major league debut Saturday, and is so far four of six in his two games. And uh, you also have Kyle Crick, who's been serviceable in the bullpen. He's not been uh, explosive like Keona Kella and Richard Rodriguez. So the Pirates have the return on the field right now and now it's about to see now we're going to see how it will play out since trading him two years ago yeah and I, th- I think the biggest issue that a lot of people might have with that especially someone like me is you so at, at one time we had three franchise cornerstones in pittsburgh one for each team we have Sidney crosby ben roethlisberger and then andrew mccutcheon and there's only one team that is that has basically ran one of those guys out of town. And it was the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, I mean, and I and I think that's the issue people have with something like that is that you know how can we invest into into this team when you basically tra- traded your cornerstone for prospects that we're going to see three years down the road? And when you don't win after those, uh, when you're winning in the middle of the contract years, but don't fully get to the top and then you start losing again, whether it's just the, the front office making poor decisions or how they, um, how the manager did everything on the field. That, that is what, that's just essentially what happened. Um, the, the front office didn't really help. And I don't think Clint Hurdle put Andrew McCutcheon in the best position to win after 2015, putting him in that number two spot, then changing him back to that number three spot. Because it's, I think Andrew McCutcheon is a leadoff hitter. Um, he, he doesn't really, he didn't really draw the walks as much in that number three spot and to see the success that he has now in Philly, I think that's just what he needed to be is that leadoff hitter. That's where I think he had his most success besides his MVP season. And I think it was just a right time for him to, to get all his bearings in, in, in check and now find himself in a successful position in Philadelphia. So um, I like like I said, he one of the three cornerstones, like like you mentioned, I don't think that was an issue for me because the way he was performing, batting near damn near the Mendoza line, I was okay with the trade. Um, and to speak of, to to get on the other trade real quick before we uh, wrap up the show, um, Garrett Cole, that trade, um, all those players, I believe except for one are at the major league level. So we're going to see how those players contribute. And now it's just going to be a waiting game for this year because most of these players are up. And if they can be successful in this rookie year, I think a win for the Pirates, honestly, is 81 is eighty-one games won for them this season. We're back and, to 500. We're just rooting for 500. Yeah. I mean, 
you can't expect playoffs every year with the way they they construct this roster. I mean, you look at what the Astros did for years and years, and that that was more of a laughing stock than um, than Pittsburgh because they were putting up back to back hundred loss seasons. Jose Altuve stuck the course. They gave him the money. They saw the players coming up, and now it's it's proven right for them. And now we're going to see how how many of those players stick around in Houston. So, I mean, baseball has that short time frame where you got to capitalize immediately. The Cubs had their time, and since then, what's it been like to be a Chicago Cubs fan? I mean, they're two and a half games out of first place. All right, the Pirates are in first place. So are the Pirates better? No. <laughs> so, I don't know what the first place had to do with anything. I'm just saying since the Cubs capitalized oh, on no, the window asked, in 2016. You, yeah, the, yeah, they won, and then they made the playoffs the next two years. Okay. And... Okay. Well, they they made the wild card, and they had to play. They had to play two uh, single elimination games back back to back. So, I mean, they only have about two more years. I mean, we were even saying that Joe Madden probably can't even get out of this year um, with the way that the team's being run right now. So, if it's hard to capture that moment, and I think the Pirates were winning, you can almost argue at the wrong time because the Cardinals were just that much better. They couldn't get past the Cardinals in 2013. And then they go through two ace aces that were just on top of their game. Jake Arrieta had one of the best stretches of all time. Um, and Madison Bumgarner had the best post, one of the best postseasons of all time. You know, you could almost argue that the Pirates just started winning at the wrong time. And that could be a loser mentality, but I think that's what happened to that team. Yeah, you might call it that. I'm definitely going to call it that. So That's fine. That's but, fine. Go for it. I mean, but, the the Braves have a more recent title than the Pirates, but ever since, uh, let's just say 2000, who has more titles? Is, in what? It, in the World Series titles. Isn't that what it really oh, comes down even, to? Yeah, I mean, they're even, but the Braves also won, I think. Let me make sure I get 96. this right. No, no, no. I'm thinking division titles and stuff like that. Because oh, right. Braves were still successful through the early 2000s till about 2008. So well, I, not to say on this too long, but we'll we'll bring it into the next show. Uh, would you prefer 14 division titles in a row and no championships, or would you prefer one wild card appearance and you win a World Series? I would take the the years of consistency. I uh, want I'm consistency taking that championship. And, I want the years of consistency and knowing that my team is tr- is at least trying to be in the playoff hunt each and every year because anything can happen. <laughs> anything can happen. I'm, I'm. This is a forewarning. I'm crying when the Pirates win a World Series. If they win a World Series, I'd I'd like to put that if word in there first. Um, are you, Are you able to cry when you're in your grave? I, we'll find out. <laughs> so all right, we're, we've gone off. We've gone off on the Pirates long enough. Uh, a couple news and notes before we wrap up the show. Uh, Jacob Degrom um, almost had a ridiculous injury scare with his elbow. Um, turns out it looks like everything's okay, and he's going to be on track for a uh, start on Friday. Um, how about the New York Yankees being the most absolutely banged up team in, in baseball right now? Um, here's a list of names that are that are on the DL that have yet to yet to come back. Oh, wait, hold injuries. on. You mentioned DeGrom first, and you went into the Yankees. I was a little confused there for a second. Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. Jacob DeGrom had his injury, but he's scheduled for, um, I guess he has. He was having elbow issues, 
uh, during his last couple starts. Um, yep. They had him get, go to an MRI. It looks like, it looks like it came back negative, and he is on track to um, make a start on Friday. Um, and then moving to the other side of New York, the New York Yankees, are they not the most banged-up team in baseball? Yeah, there's no question about it. Listen to this list of names that, that are all hurt at some point, either to end the year last year or currently on the DL from this year. Miguel Andujar, and I butchered that, yikes. Um, Greg, Greg Bird, Didi Gregorius, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sanchez, and Luis Severino all on the disabled list right now for the New York Yankees, which all have, ha- I believe the last four happened within the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, everything's been falling apart for the New York Yankees and their health. I don't even think they have a training staff with the way they're falling apart. <laughs> but you know what? They're still two and a half out in the American League East right now. So if they can ride this out and those those guys start coming back, look out, the Yankees might be coming for everybody. Oh, yeah. That's, hey, that's my division winner. And then two more notes here. Obviously, the Atlanta Braves, we always have to mention them. Uh, big weekend this weekend, taking two out of three in Cleveland. Uh, they split a doubleheader Saturday that, that was against Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer. Um, they took this the back-end one coming back from a 7 nothing deficit. And then Sunday night baseball under the big lights after the rain came in. The bringer of rain, Josh Donaldson, went three for four, two home runs, four Four RBIs, a walk, and one strikeout. He had a great day. And um, the last note that I have here for baseball, um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is coming to Toronto to take the Rookie of the Year title, like I predicted when we did our predictions earlier this year. Um, you have anything on that? What do you there's think no, of him? There's no set date yet on Vladdy, um, but it's yeah. I, I, to I believe this, that's. 100% speculation. I don't think they, they've announced a date or anything, but um, I mean, he's Toronto- only, he played all year, almost all year in Buffalo last year, and so far he only has six games play because he was uh, coming back from injury, but we'll see um, we'll see when he comes up and then see if he can catch up to my boy Pete Alonzo. Yeah, Pete Alonzo, I just don't have time for because he plays for the Mets, but uh, everything's coming up Toronto right now, right? They got the young kid, Austin Matthews slash Meadows, uh, the Raptors are in the playoffs having a great run, and they got their top prospect, possibly one of the best prospects in baseball, getting called up sooner rather than rather than later. I wonder how the Argonauts did for Toronto as well. I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, – if anybody's got stats on the Argonauts, uh, send it to our Twitter, which is at Big Dave, uh, at jchrist underscore 51, or on our Icy Takes platforms on Facebook or at Icy Takes on Twitter. Icy spelled with an E-Y because that's how we spell it. All right, let's wrap it up with MVPs. Uh, Jeff, why don't you lead it off? Oh, I'm going to go with Josh Donaldson after the line that I read uh, that he had on Sunday night. He's starting to come around. A lot of people were wondering if he was um, if he was ever going to come around in Atlanta because he had a rough start to the year. But uh, – He's starting to get it going. He's making good contact with the ball the last couple of weeks. And to see him have a night like he did against a former team like the Cleveland Indians, uh, Josh Donaldson, you're my MVP of the week. I'm giving it to Cole Tucker. Every swing that dude had, was it looked like he was swinging for the fences. And boy, did it come at the right time when he finally got that first hit. 431, right below the tee in the Pirates hedge uh, trimming out in center field. Uh, to take the lead three to one, and then after Gung struck out the next at bat, 
they had the rain delay. They brought out the tarp, and it was an official game after five innings with that home run. So, giving it to Cole Tucker for letting me go out as a as a happy Pirates fan with a victory instead of a, a delayed game. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys just get another cheap one thanks to Major League Baseball. So, hey, you you can't control the weather, but you and you also can't control Cole Tucker with that four hundred thirty one foot home run. So, we got anything else, or can I go watch some hockey now? Because you yelled at me last time because I was watching hockey during the show. Oh, you can watch hockey whenever you want, just as long as you don't have the, the damn bird singing by your head. Yeah, no, I, I thought this worked out pretty well, me doing a broadcast did. on the uh, on the, uh, on the the deck here. So, um, it did. Um, I, I would come into the, the risk of maybe having a train pass by um, on the deck where I live, but... Um, Aside from that, no, I think everything worked out well being outside. Just uh, don't do it out there in the rain. And uh, you go watch hockey. I'll go watch baseball. I'm going to see if uh, how the, the the Pirates, the Pirates yokels call him Gregory Palancho, see how he does in his uh, first game and go from there. Yeah, so you watch baseball. I watch hockey. We get some icy takes. We come back next week and maybe talk about it fully loaded that'll do it for us remember to follow us on facebook and twitter and uh also follow us on our personal twitters at big underscore day 51 or 52 because wow he doesn't name. even know his twitter handle that's embarrassing i'm out of here that's another one for you and at j chris underscore 51 shoot me some tweets here folks love you guys Let's go, let's go, let's go.